0: Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, Reimbursement and Future Credit Calculations in New York and New Jersey. Um, Ideally, uh, there should be a little video of me in the bottom right. If not, this is audio only. So, Uh, Anyway, you can still ask questions. Feel free to post them in the questions box and I'll get to them at the end so let's start with what our rights are under section 29 and section 40. so both new york and new jersey prohibit a double recovery by the injured worker uh section 29 and section 40 permit the following rights to the employer and carrier lien reimbursement formal subrogation and a future credit and offset um the calculations however under section 40 and section 29 differ so Without further ado, let's dive right into this and roll up our sleeves because it's about to get a little hairy. Um, So section 40D, uh, you can perfect your reimbursement rights with service of notice on the third party defendants or their insurance carriers. Um, Their attorneys work as well, but um, just note that this is not service on the claimant or the petitioner. This is actually service on the third party defendants or their insurance carriers. Uh, Section, and it has to be via some form of registered mail. Section 40B, uh, if the third-party settlement exceeds the comp exposure, the carrier is entitled to reimbursement for medical and indemnity, uh, less employee's expenses of suit, and attorney's fee as here and after defined. We're going to get to that in a second. Section 40C, if the third-party settlement is less than the comp exposure, uh, i.e. your lien, the carrier is liable for the difference plus expenses of suit and the attorney's fee. And finally, Section 40 of E, what I said we were just going to get to, expenses of suit are capped at 750, dollars and the attorney's fee is capped at one-third. So, uh, let's look at an example of a third-party settlement Section 40B calculation. So our lien is $30,000, the third-party settlement is $100,000, the attorney's fee is one-third, and expenses of suit are 500 dollars so first we take a third because the attorney's fee is a third off of our 30,000, so that's 30,000 minus 10,000 then minus $500. Um and you might notice I put a note there that says um remember $750 is the max deduction. So we're only taking off 500 because that's what the expenses of suit are in this case. Um that leaves a reimbursement of $19,500. Uh, The petitioner's net is 100,000 minus 500 minus 33,166.67. That's one third of 99,500. That's the attorney's fee. Minus 19,500 in our reimbursement equals 46,833.33 in future offset rights, and we're going to get into how that works in a moment. So uh, an example I really want everyone to take note of here, because it makes all the difference in the world in these catastrophic exposure cases. So um, what about with a large third-party settlement when Rule uh, Court Rule 1 colon 21 dash 7 C applies? So we have this lovely case uh, from the appellate division in 2019, which finally clarified a um, as yet unclarified area of the law. Uh, the low, you take the lower of the average attorney's fee or one third, whatever it comes out to be. And if that doesn't make sense, we're going to see how the math works right now. So pretend our lien is five hundred thousand. The third party settlement is three million. Costs are ten thousand, and no fee has been approved by the court. The reason I put that there is the court rule says that the court can actually just approve any fee upon proper application, if you know the attorney shows that they put in the legwork that warrants that fee. But let's pretend for this case. It's just the rule applying. Um, so, Court Rule 1 21 7 c says you get 33.33% in attorney's fees on the first 750, 30% on the next 750, 25% on the next 750, and 20% on the next 750. Any amount beyond that, and you'll notice in this example, we added up exactly to $3 million. Uh, any amount beyond that um, is only by fee application, like we just talked about. So let's continue with this example. So what this uh, Liberty Mutual Insurance versus Rodriguez case says is you average the attorney's fee. So two hundred forty nine thousand nine hundred seventy five on the first seven hundred fifty thousand. Uh, remember that's thirty three point three three percent of seven hundred fifty. Two hundred twenty five thousand on the next seven fifty, i.e. thirty percent. 187,500 on the next 750, 25%, 150 on the last 750, 20%. So we add up those four different fees for those four different components of the settlement, and we divide that total number by the gross settlement. This shakes out to 27.08%. So even though our costs are capped at 10,000, the reduction for expenses of suit is, I'm sorry, even though our costs are 10,000, the reduction for expenses of suit is capped at 750, Uh, So to do the total total math here, 500,000, that's what we said our lien was, minus 27.08%, that's 135,400, minus 750 equals 363,850. So this is 31,266,67 more due to that averaging of the attorney's fee per the Liberty Mutual Insurance versus Rodriguez case. Instead of taking a third off the lien, we were able to average the attorney's fee under the court rule and take 27.08% off. And obviously, if there's a three dollars dollar third-party settlement, you probably have a pretty large lien as well. Uh, so this really does make a ton of difference uh, in these catastrophic exposure cases, which is why I wanted to bring it up. So section 40C, uh, when we have a lien that is actually greater than the third-party settlement. So we have a miniature third-party settlement here. So let's say it's $15,000. This is the standard policy minimum in New Jersey. The lien is 100,000, the attorney's fee is one-third, and costs are 500. Well, step one, and this is how it's laid out in the statute, but we're gonna give you a cheat code at the end of it. Step one, the difference between the lien and the third-party settlement, 100 minus 15, is 85,000. You add the fee and costs to the difference, so 85,000 plus uh, the attorney's fee plus $500, so that's 5,333.33 total equals 90,333.33. How much does the lien exceed the number that we got to in step two? Well, 100,000 minus 90,333.33 equals 9,666.67 in reimbursement. Now, the cheat code I mentioned. This translates to being entitled to the entire third party settlement after costs and fees. You might notice if we didn't go down this long rabbit hole, if we just did 15,000 minus 500 minus 4,833.33, it would equal the exact same amount we got to in step three. So, Section 40C is a long winded way of saying that if your lien exceeds the third party settlement, you get every red cent less attorney's fees and costs just if you ever have to lay out the math for a judge, and which we had pop up recently, this is how it works. All right, future offset rights. So this is only going to apply, going to apply when the third-party settlement uh, is less than the total lien uh, for obvious reasons. So Section 40B provides that when the third-party settlement uh, exceeds the lien, the carrier shall be released from such liability. And I highlighted that language because it's actually kind of interesting how this is gonna work out. For future offset purposes, the petitioner's net third party settlement is our credit amount. Uh, And then we have this hateful case from the New Jersey Supreme Court back in 1978, uh, Owens versus CNR waste material, which said that the carrier is required to pay its future share of litigation costs upfront in permanent total disability cases in order to be released from liability as referenced by the statute. So here are a couple more cases about this Owens issue, and and we're going to arrive at a a point at the conclusion of this slide. Um, So Andrew Jack versus Elmore Shop, even when the future share is accelerated, reopener rights are calculated from the date PPD payments would have ended. So you forecast out the amount of weeks on the PPD, and you count two years from the date the last payment would have been due. Then we have Fiore versus Trident Construction Co., there is no SSD offset on an accelerated Owens payment, remember that's paying your one-third up front, because you're released from liability after paying your pro rata share, and this is not a commutation, of co- or nor is it compensation, it is your share of litigation costs, so basically this case says that, you know, the court views it as the carrier paying attorney's fees and costs, uh and therefore it's not a compensation payment and not subject to an ssd offset so this adds up um to basically petitioner attorneys arguing in every single case where there's this third party settlement and uh, a section 22 permanency award uh we're always required to pay one third of it up front and accelerate it um that said you can always negotiate otherwise and it may be that the petitioner actually Prefers payments at the one third rate ongoing, or maybe you have a petitioner, a third party attorney who's not really familiar with how the law works, or things of that nature. It's more favorable to us to pay at the one third rate going forward. Number one, because there's no guarantee we ever uh, pay, pay out the entirety of the permanency award, right? I mean, the petitioner might pass away tomorrow. Number two, it's way, way easier to track reopener rights on the credit if we're just doing a weekly deduction. So, um, here's how we can handle uh, future offset rights in New Jersey in different scenarios. So, with ongoing uh, permanent partial disability benefit payments, like the COM case is already resolved and we're already paying, try to agree to a one-third rate when the third-party case settles. If the adversary will not agree, can you satisfy your OWEN's obligation with a partial lien waiver? so what i'm getting at with that is um say you're uh you know we know what our third party reimbursement is going to be can we waive a portion of that to satisfy what one third of the future permanency award is if so we don't pay any additional money and we still get the total holiday uh from future payments going forward just note you're going to have to negotiate this uh your worst case scenario is paying one third up front and then documenting the extinguishment and reopener date in the order That's how it shakes out in Owens. Um, If the third-party case settles first and our credit exceeds the total perm award, then the petitioner gets one-third of the award up front, assuming it's fully accrued, uh, and the full award gets deducted from the credit balance and the remainder goes toward the reopener, if any. If the perm award has not accrued in full, we accelerate to the extent of the credit, then pay the remainder once, too. Now, if this is not making any sense at all to you, I'm just laying the groundwork here, we're gonna see how the math actually works out. So my advice to you when dealing with future offset rights in New Jersey comes down to three simple words, work in weeks, and this is actually gonna make it very, very easy. So let's say the petitioners in that third party settlement is 30,000, right? Those are our credit rights. A section 22 is being put through for $200 a week for 250 weeks. Total award of $50,000. As the date of the OAS, the Order Approving Settlement, 100 weeks have accrued, 20,000 total. So how many weeks does our $30,000 credit, the petitioner's net third-party settlement, buy us? Well, it buys us 150 weeks. 30,000 divided by $200 a week equals 150 weeks. So this means we only pay one-third of the accrued amount of 20,000, Remember uh, 100 weeks at $200 per week, we had 100 weeks accrued as of the date of the OS, OAS. So we only pay one third of the accrued amount up front to the petitioner. So 6,666.67, that takes away 100 weeks of our 150 week credit from the $30,000. So we now have 50 weeks of credit left. We pay one third of the next 50 weeks. So 50 weeks times $200 equals 10,000 up front. We pay 3,333.33 up front. And then what happens is the petitioner gets nothing for the first 50 weeks following the OAS, and then payments resume at the full rate of $200 for the remaining 100 weeks. So if you're trying to figure out um, how to apply your credit rights in a New Jersey case, just break it all down into weeks. You know That's how the order approving settlement does it. And if you translate the third-party settlement into uh, an amount of weeks, it just makes it way, way, way easier to work with. So uh, moving on to New York, um, Section 29 requires a deduction, but unlike in New Jersey, where there's you know statutory caps, uh, we have to calculate a cost of litigation percentage. This is calculated by adding the attorney's fee and costs and disbursements together, uh, and then dividing by the gross third-party settlement. So if we have a hundred thousand dollar third-party settlement, an attorney's fee of one third, costs are a thousand. That's thirty-four thousand three hundred thirty-three point three three over one hundred thousand dollars equals thirty-four point three three percent. So if our lien is thirty thousand, we take off thirty-four point three three percent, and we receive nineteen thousand seven hundred one in reimbursement. Pretty easy so far. So where it starts to get messy is the Court of Appeals in Burns versus Variali and the difference between speculative and non-speculative future benefits. So, the Kelly case, the one that gives us this cost of litigation calculation, says certain types of payments are non speculative PTD, uh, that's permanent total disability, schedule loss of use, and death. In those cases, the carrier is going to pay the cost of litigation percentage up front and then take a complete holiday from payments going forward. Burns says that permanent partial disability is speculative, so payments are made ongoing weekly at the cost of litigation percentage rate. Bissell versus Town of Amherst says, unsurprisingly, future medical is also speculative. Payable as it becomes due, as the petitioner treats, uh, at the cost of litigation percentage, AKA the the burns rate is what you might hear it called. So let's look at a couple math examples here. Non-speculative permanent total disability. Uh, Claimant has a PTD of $300 per week. Assume it has a present value of $200,000. Third party case settles for 2.5 million. The current lien is $175,000. The attorney's fee is 833333 dollars and costs are $15,000. So we get our cost of litigation percentage first. Attorney's fee plus costs divided by uh, gross settlement is 33.93%. Now we have to figure out what the total benefit to the carrier is. $175,000, that's the current lien, um, plus $200,000, that's the present value of future benefits, uh, is equal to 375. What is the carrier share of 375 based on the cost of litigation percentage? Uh, 0.3393 times 375 equals 127,237.50. So then we take that number from our equitable, or we take our equitable share from the total lien, and we're left over with 47,762.50. That ends up being our reimbursement amount in this permanent total disability case. Uh, the petitioner's net, or I'm sorry, the claimant's net, since we're in New York now, uh, is gross settlement minus attorney's fee minus costs and disbursements minus lien reimbursement equals the net to the claimant. Now, what happens um, if the future uh, obligation or the present value of the future obligation plus our lien is actually um, greater and we become exposed for fresh money? So assume the claimant is PTD at 900 per week and the present value here is 600,000. Carriers paid 300,000, the net third party settlement is for 500, Uh, attorney fee of 163,333,333 and 10,000 in costs. Calculate our cost of litigation percentage, attorney fee plus costs over gross settlement, 34.67. What is the total benefit to the carrier? Well, the present value is 600,000 plus what we've paid to date, 300,000. Equitable share, we take 34.67% times 900. We get $312,030. So we subtract this equitable share from our gross lien like we did before, uh, except we end up with negative $12,030. Um, so to determine the claimant's net here, 500000 minus attorney's fee plus, and minus attorney's fee and costs, plus this fresh money we now have to pay, 12030 equals 338.696.67. So um, in this case, we actually have to pay money forward, pay fresh money, because the total benefit to the carrier from the third-party settlement uh, is so high, and it exceeds the third-party settlement itself. Um, when will payments resume? This is just the next step if you want to take it that far. This is called efficiency compensation, the remaining payments after your credit is exhausted. Um, Three hundred thirty-eight thousand six ninety-six sixty-seven. that's the petitioner's net, claimant's net, uh, divided by $900 a week, that's the weekly PTD rate, equals 376.33 weeks. So after about seven years, we're going to resume payment. But for the first seven years, we will pay nothing. Speculative future benefits are way easier. You're just paying at the cost of litigation percentage, approximately one-third usually, on a weekly basis for medical Temporary disability, LWEC, reduced earnings, etc. So your cost of litigation, let's just say, is 34% um, in this fact pattern. Third-party settlement of 100,000. Section 29, lien of 25. Attorney fee of 33 and cost of 1,000. Uh, the cost of litigation percentage reduction to our lien 34% taken out of 25,000, $8,500. Our reimbursement, then, is $25,000 8500 16005 Claimant walks away with 49500 So that is our future credit amount. So let's assume the claimant gets classified with a 25% LWAC and gets 250 weeks at 300 per week. Under burns, the carrier pays 34% of LWAC payments, or 102 per week, and any medical um, at the 34% rate until $49,500, Uh, holiday is extinguished. Uh, The holiday is what we call the reduced benefits payment period or the suspended benefits payment period. So assuming there's no medical, which is kind of typical after permanency except for ongoing maintenance care, unless in some serious injury cases, um, the holiday would expire after 165 weeks. How did I get to that? Uh, Claimant's net divided by $300 a week, the LWEC benefit payments, Um, And that would resume at the full rate uh, for the remaining 85 weeks on the LWAC classification. So uh, we got through the tough part. We got through the math. Um, Now I just want to leave you with uh, a few takeaways in New York before I do third-party settlement takeaways overall. So a warning about the interplay with Article 51 and Section 291A. You might have heard this referred to as the 50K carve-out in motor vehicle accident cases. That applies um, retroactively and prospectively. So uh, if you have not yet paid out over $50,000, subject to some exceptions, uh, you likely do not have a lien, um, but you do maintain your credit rights on the full third-party settlement value, You know what the claimant walks away with from the third-party settlement, uh, for any amounts that are not paid in lieu of first-party benefits. So in other words, once you get to 50,000, your offset rights apply as normal. So make sure you're tracking in cases where you might not get a reimbursement because your lien is small. Make sure you're tracking when you get to 50K anyway, because you still have the offset rights for the full value once you get to 50K. Um, Note that you're required to reserve your offset rights in the consent agreement under section 29.5. This is nice because you can dictate the terms of your offset. You can set the cost of litigation or burns rate You can have the claimant waive Burns. You can set the effective date of the credit. Uh, You can impose restrictions for revoking your consent. Um, The consent agreement is really a powerful thing, and we have some webinars on that if you want to check it out. Um, Burns can be satisfied with a partial waiver up front or over time, uh, or it can be waived by the claimant. So you can waive some of your present reimbursement to satisfy what you calculate your future Burns obligation to be, or once you, what you pay in your lien reduction plus your weekly burns payments, once that adds up to the claimant's actual litigation costs, you've satisfied burns. If you think about it practically, you never have to pay more than the claimant's actual litigation costs. That's not equitable. That's just, you know, the carrier taking a hit for no reason. So once your burns obligation is satisfied, you get dollar for dollar offset rights. Uh, You can also have the claimant agree to waive burns in the third-party consent agreement, and then you get dollar-for-dollar offset rights. Um, Bissell and matter of Franciscan Health Management. um, Note that medical treatment uh, in a third-party settlement credit in New York, um, the claimant is actually responsible to pay out-of-pocket and then submit claims for reimbursement through the board. After which the carrier, uh, you know, will be directed. Assuming the bill, assuming the bill is adjudicated to be compensable, the board will direct the carrier to reimburse the claimant at the burns rate, unless, you know, the claimant waived burns or you've already satisfied it. Um, the reason I bring this up, that means medical treatment is objectionable uh, if you have a third-party settlement credit running. So consider filing those caone bs to shake things up a little uh, if the claimant's still getting treatment after a third-party settlement. Um, many judges and attorneys are unaware of the requirement for a gross benefit deduction so remember in the prior example uh to remember to figure out the deficiency compensation uh i divided it by the gross weekly award amount you know we said the claimant was getting 900 a week in ptd and then i took the claimant's net third party settlement divided by 900. um a lot of attorneys and judges think the way it actually works is that you're only responsible for deducting the portion of the payment you avoid or uh, the two-thirds. So if you pay, you know, the one-third rate or the approximate one-third rate, the you know, you're still paying that. So a lot of attorneys and judges think that the only thing that comes off your lien is two-thirds of the benefit payment. So if you can throw that in a consent agreement and get everyone to sign off on it, more power to you um note that if they push back though and they say you have to deduct the gross benefit amount they're right um and finally beware matter of terra nova uh this is a case from 2017 uh basically we talked about schedule loss of use being one of those non-speculative future benefits um that does not mean that if you know if schedule loss of use has not been resolved at the time the third party action settles that you get to skirt, you know, your burns obligation. What Matter of Terra Nova says is that burns requires payment of your equitable share as it becomes due. So when you get to a schedule loss of use, thanks to what Matter of Terra Nova now says, it's not like you get to skirt your burns obligation. You still have to pay the burns rate of the schedule loss of use. So if your third party settlement credit exceeds the total SLU, that means you have to pay one-third of the SLU still. If your third-party settlement equals only a portion of your third-party settlement, I should say, the claimant's net third-party settlement equals only a portion of the SLU, well, you still have to lop the burns rate off of that credit amount. I know that sounds unfair, but that's how it works. Until there's further clarity from the board panel or the third department or the court of appeals, uh, the carrier gets hit coming and going on SLUs. All right. Best practices for the third party settlements, and then we'll get to questions if there are any. Um, Negotiate everything in advance. advance. Do not leave it up to judges. Uh, So I want you to work things out with petitioner or claimant's counsel. Do not just draft a sloppy consent letter and assume, you know, the law will figure it out. Uh, Along that same line, memorialize everything in writing. This is actually required in New York under 29.5. It is not required in New Jersey because there's no requirement to ask for our consent to settle, but do it anyway. Because if you have your offset rights uh, and reopener rights, you know, laid out in a consent letter, that is way more compelling if the issue of your credit is ever adjudicated. Uh, look for a possible global settlement. You know, can you waive a portion of the lien to fund a section 32, for instance? Um, know the math and how your rights are applied, like everything we just went over. Uh, make sure you got a system in place for tracking your weekly deductions, as we discussed. You know, you're going to be taking money off weekly if you can agree to it in New Jersey or if you're paying at the burns rate. Somebody should be tracking that. If it's an Excel spreadsheet or some software, somebody's got to be on top of it. And finally, um, properly reserve your rights in New Jersey. Uh, Section 40D requires service of notice on the third-party defendants, their insurance carriers, or their attorneys uh, via some form of registered mail. So make sure you're doing that. Um, while you have a lien, regardless of whether you serve the notice under Section 40D, what that does is it actually obligates the defendants to reimburse you before paying dollar one to the petitioner, which is really useful leverage if you you know, petitioners, third party attorney wants you to compromise any portion of the lien. You get to say, okay, well, the defendants are obligated to reimburse me in full first. So take it up with them. Um, all right. With that, let's see if we have any questions. I know that was very dense subject matter and it took a half hour. So I appreciate you sticking in there. All right. Let's see. I always struggle to pop this thing out. All right. It looks like we do not have any questions, but I am always happy to answer them. Uh, So feel free to reach out, at cmajoratloisllc.com, or pick up the phone and give me a call. Uh, I could talk about this stuff all day, so I'm happy to go over with you. Um, Thank you so much for joining, and hopefully I see you next month. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.